Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is your host, DPT Steph, your doctor of physical therapy, bringing you all things PT with an interdisciplinary approach so that you can be the best clinician that you want to be. Thank you for tuning in to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is your host, Stephanie, otherwise known as DPT Steph. On today's episode, we will be talking with Erica, who is a Master of Occupational Therapy and also the CEO and founder of Joy Energy Time, which is a wellness community dedicated to empowering healthcare professionals to grow in their wellness practices and advocate to improve the industry. To get us started, Erica, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, my name is Erica. I'm an occupational therapist. I'm originally from Miami, Florida. That's where I met my husband. He's a PT. Um, and now we're in Colorado. So we've been through the country. My husband was doing travel PT for a while. And now I'm back in, in clinical world. So I'm back in outpatient pediatrics. And I'm also the founder of Joy Energy Time and the Burnout to Little podcast. So I'm all about burnout and uh, holistic living for healthcare professionals. I love it. Run us through a little bit. I know you said you're in outpatient pediatrics right now. Have you always been in outpatient peds? What was life like for you as a new grad and between then and where you are now? Yeah, as far as my career, I've always been in outpatient peds. I did a field work in inpatient, in um, inpatient rehab, and then another one in outpatient peds. And I went into school knowing that I wanted to do peds, but there are some people that leave school and they're like, no, peds wasn't for me, but I still loved it. And so for my career, I've been doing outpatient pediatrics. As a new grad, um, it was pretty tough for me, the transition from school to the real world, because I had I went through college and then right into grad school. So by the time I got out into the real world, I was 25. So there was a lot of learning curves for me. And eight months into my first job, it was such a great job, but I experienced burnout. And since I had no idea what that was or what even it looked like or that it could even happen to someone that loved your job I was just total I was totally in denial and I didn't realize what was happening and then I realized later on in retrospect I needed more support and um, that's what got me into what I do now with Joy Energy Time and my podcast Um, and I'm working on a book right now so it's really exciting it's like a problem that I had that inspired me to focus on this that I know so many other healthcare professionals go through. Yeah. So when did uh, Joy Energy Time start and kind of what's been, I know you said burnout is a huge part of it, but what's kind of been the trajectory of it and where, aside from the podcast, what other materials and stuff do you provide? Yeah. So I started in 2017. I had been listening to, because of my burnout, I had, I hit, and that wasn't my only experience with burnout. I experienced it again in another job. And after that, I had to hit pause on everything. Um, I left a really toxic job, not that first job, another job I had afterward. Um, I went into per diem pediatrics and I got into academia. So I was an adjunct professor and I kind of slowed down a little bit and I started to do some research into healing myself, first of all, and just focusing on feeling good. And then that led me into all these personal development books and podcasts. And I got into listening to podcasts and then it hit me one day, oh, I could do something. I can do something. I can start a business. And I had never had a business mind before. Um, so it was super new to me and I was really scared. And But I just went for it, not knowing exactly what I was going to, what it was going to look like. Um, but I just went for it knowing that I have a mission 
and I'm going to evolve and I'm sure that my, the projects I do will change, but I know like this is my mission and I'm going to go for it. And I started, like I said, in, in technically 2017, but really got started in 2018 and I started the podcast in 2018 and I've done a lot of CEU courses um, with MedBridge, uh, Continued Ed or Occupational Therapy or PhysicalTherapy.com and just other organizations. So I've been really passionate about speaking and presenting. Uh, like I said, I'm working on my book. Um, I'm active on Instagram. I did have a membership, but I recently sunsetted it and I will be resuming it sometime in the future. It just wasn't, um, unfortunately right now I had too many things on my plate and that was something I loved so much, but I know that everything has a place and a, t and a time and the right time will come again for that. And the last thing I'm doing is I'm doing some research now in conjunction with Colorado State University, and we're looking into burnout in occupational therapists. So I'm really excited um, because there's a lot of gaps in the literature for burnout. There's a ton for physicians and nurses, but for rehab professionals, there's a lot of gaps. So I'm excited to contribute to that research. That's awesome. When you were an OT student, did you see anybody around you having more of like that student burnout? I know you said yours started about eight months into your first job, but even prior to that, maybe someone else had it sooner on their first job. What are some things that, whether it's students or new grads that are listening, what are the key things to look out for to, I guess, realize that you're maybe in the burnout phase or to even like be proactive about it so you don't get burnt out? Yeah, that's such a good question. And since I was an adjunct professor, I've also kept in touch with my old field work coordinator. And now she's a colleague of mine. And now she's also in Colorado. And I lectured, I guess, lectured for her class. And she said that over the past few years, she's been seeing a lot of burnout with students more and more before they even get out there. And when I was a student, I'm not, I'm not really aware. I wasn't aware of anyone, if any of my classmates also had burnout or at least were able to articulate it or identify it. But um, I know that now, especially because it's become more of a buzzword, it's become more mainstream. When I was a student, I had no idea what, what it was. I'm sure I had heard of it, but I just didn't, it wasn't even in my world. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, and so, well, what was your original question? Because I want to make sure I answer it. <laughs> You're good. Uh, I know it was kind of multi-layered. Um, what should students or even new grads kind of look out for if they start experiencing burnout and they don't even realize it's burnout or even like from a proactive standpoint, how to recognize the situation you're in to avoid burnout? Yeah, yes. So the first thing is to be aware of it and be, become aware that since you're a healthcare professional, you're already at risk. It's just the nature of our work. Burnout was first defined as we know it in the early 70s and was later, um, the definition was later enhanced by researcher Christina Maslash, and it basically goes into three main uh, components. So emotional exhaustion, cynicism, and decreased self-efficacy. And the way I like to think about burnout is that it happens, it's, it's chronic and it's in response to chronic workplace stressors. So it's not the same thing as you're really stressed because maybe you had a really rough assignment, but then when that ends, like your workload resumes back to normal. It's, it's sort of like this gradual erosion um, and it's because of chronic factors that are in place, whether that is work factors or some personal factors. Um, but the first thing is to be aware of what it is. So that emotional exhaustion component is the first thing. 
And if you're feeling tired and exhausted, but, I, but you don't have that cynicism, you feel really engaged, you have a high sense of efficacy, maybe you're at, at like the beginning stages of burnout, or maybe you're just dealing with exhaustion on its own. So understanding that burnout is those three things and that it can happen to you because a lot of people think, you know, I can't, something like that can't happen to me. I love my job, I love my field. But what happens is that we enter a meaningful field and we go to school to become OTs, BTs, healthcare professionals, because we love to help people. And what happens with burnout is that this big gap, this big um, disconnect happens between, between the work you wanna do and the work you have to do. And you enter because you have most likely these altruistic values, like you want to help people, but then you might be in a job that doesn't necessarily align or support you in that way. And you might be doing things that to hit a certain productivity mark or whatever it is. And there might be this conflict and you might not even come to terms with that you are growing distant from your job. You are daydreaming about retiring or leaving the field. And it is kind of taboo and kind of swept under the rug because there's a lot of stigma around it. And I think that's kind of changing now, but I still see it. And I still see this attitude of the hero, you know, we have to sacrifice ourselves for our patients and sacrifice ourselves for the job, but we're so much more than our job. And there are jobs out there that can support you with the values you have, but um, understanding that there are jobs out there that won't support you and that won't, you won't grow and flourish. So this long way of saying, become aware of what it is, get um, a clear understanding of your value system and what you you value and then that could be your compass into guiding you to jobs that support that um, and understanding how you cope with your day-to-day -day stressors because the things you do every day matter more than the things you do once in a while so if you have these grandiose things like you know I do I get a massage like once a month and that is I, I don't really deal with coping on a daily basis, that's not necessarily the most helpful thing. So the much, you know, as much as you can, trying to mitigate some of that through your daily coping um, and asking for the resources and the, and the support you need at, on the job. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I like that you touched on finding something that also aligns with your values, because I think that's so important. And I don't know in the OT world, if like we call them PT mills. So I don't know if OT has a similar concept, um, but I, something that I try to stress so much, I know on my Instagram, because I have a lot of students that tune in this whole like mill concept will burn you out because you're going to be working strictly for numbers for, you know, double patients, triple patients, some quadruple patients an hour, and then you're going to be swamped in paperwork. So your value that you went into being a PT or even an OT to help people is going to completely go down the drain. You're just going to essentially become a robot. It's mm -hmm. endless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that happens a lot. And I know that's, that's like the, the trap we don't think about. We think about this beautiful career and it is a beautiful career, but like the reality of a lot of jobs is are those numbers and working you to the bone and it's getting, you know, what are you flexible with? What are you willing to change and what are you willing to be open about versus things like you're not willing to sacrifice 
office and that's going to be different for everyone for some people they don't mind staying late you know like that's maybe maybe that's not a big deal but for other people they have families or they have other priorities and uh, a schedule that's from 11 to 7 is just not going to work out so understanding like what you need and and knowing that sometimes there could be a sacrifice in the short term um and i know that not everyone has all the available, like their dream jobs available to them, like as their first choice. But it's also knowing that maybe perhaps your situation is short term, um, having working with your manager or your supervisor to make something work for you in your favor. In and at the end of the at the end of the day, it's going to benefit your patients. It's not going to benefit your patients if you're if you're seeing four patients an hour, yeah. and um, you're double booked, and um, you can't even pee, and um, you you can't even eat, and you go home and you have like five evals to write. That it's just I, that happens. Like that that is what happens, and it's really hard. Right, and it also comes down to asking like the most pressing questions. And I like that you said you might have to sacrifice some things. Like, okay, you might have a great job, and maybe the hours aren't so good. But knowing that you can change them, and maybe after a year of working for the company, et cetera, is a short term, like short term negative for a long term positive. I guess I can try to say. So, when you're going for interviews or when you're looking for the right job, okay, know that it might not hit 100% of your criteria, but knowing kind of where to sacrifice to benefit yourself and then obviously your patients, I think is the biggest outlook you can probably have. I also do want to touch on that as students, obviously you're, I know when I was in school, I had some semesters, I was in class from like 8am to 5pm or even 7pm on some days. And you also kind of have to pace yourself and know that you might have to be studying as soon as you get out of class, but also don't feel guilty if you cut studying an hour short because you can't even focus anymore and you just want to sit there and veg out and watch Netflix or listen to music or something else. And like know that it's okay to do that and also kind of take the stress off of yourself that that extra hour of studying is not going to make or break you and your mental health is what's going to take priority in the long run. And it needs to be emphasized, I think, because like so many students are so hung up on grades and don't realize that. I know my first year of PT school, I completely like my mental health was literally in the drain. And it's one of the biggest regrets I have because no one told me to slow down and just like stop for a second. Yeah, and there's this competitiveness, I think, amongst people that enter healthcare. I feel like we're high achieving mm -hmm. people. And so there's this workaholism um, that is pr promoted a lot of the times and um, at the expense of your own health. And I think a lot of times what happens with this workaholic nature is that, and like I mentioned before, this hero sort of, this hero mentality, um, like the more you can do, the more you can sacrifice, the more tired you are, the more miserable you are, the more you work you have, the more you study. Um, it's like the better you are, but like, who decided that? Like who decided that that's the way you should live? Like, why can't we enjoy our work, but also, like you said, stop studying an hour earlier and not feel guilty about it because it, it might be better. And it probably is better if you go to sleep earlier, or if you just like, waste an hour on, you know, watching TV. I think that there's this fine line between, and I've, I struggle with this in terms of like, what is product, like how can I rest productively versus, you know, what 
what are things that I'm going to do that's not going to get me closer to my goals? But then also understanding that rest is productive and unproductive rest, what you would think is unproductive is productive in the long run because you need that extra hour of sleep. Um, There's no point in making yourself review the same thing for the millionth time because of everyone else's, like, you know, you can prioritize yourself and without shame and making that the, the, the standard. And if you're in a group of people where they prioritize being workaholic or, or studying on, you know, the whole night, and that's not how you roll because you know that you have to put yourself first, then it takes courage to be able to do that, whether if it's in a school setting or in a work setting and to lead through example. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I totally, I feel that on a personal level because once I switched gears after my first year, I was like, whew, what was I doing with my life? Um, also, I feel like at least again, my experience, I slept an hour or so earlier and closed the books and like understood where I needed to cut off. And I think my grades like actually were better because I was then like more rested and less stressed and kind of just more accepted the fact that this one hour needs to be rest and not just like continuing to read the same paragraph over and over again. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit too. So as an OT in pediatrics or even in your field work when you were a student, have you worked with PTs like side by side and what has your experience been doing so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've worked with PTs and I work with PTs now and I've always there was only one job where I didn't work with PTs, but, um, and my husband's a PT, a lot of my friends are, so I'm really comfortable with working with PTs and, and SOPs, especially in pediatrics. It's very interdisciplinary, um, and there's a lot of good, in my experience, there's been a lot of good exchanges and interactions and a lot of good brainstorming and collaboration. There are some areas where we overlap a little bit and just some of the things, it's how we approach it and like how we categorize things is what makes our professions different. But there's a lot of also little things that overlap. And I do a lot of co-treats now um, and with PT. So a lot of it just makes sense because we're working on a lot of this. We're working on a lot of similar things just in different ways. Yeah. How would you define what an OT does or what is occupational therapy? Because that's a question I know I get a lot. I'm sure you get a lot too. When people are like, I don't know if I want to do PT or OT. And I can only truly obviously speak for the PT side. So for people who maybe are listening and are trying to figure it out, how would you define it or even define, I guess, the difference? So occupational therapy, we help people do the things that are most meaningful to them and to be successful in their daily occupations. So that could be anything from brushing your teeth to getting dressed to to even finding a a job. I know there's a lot of um, misconception that occupational therapy, we help people find jobs, but that that is not necessarily the case. We help people from, from across the lifespan, from babies, to old adults, to uh, people with different abilities. And we can help people, we can work in that vocational rehab, or we can help people um, in terms of finding their skill set and becoming employed. But we help with so many things. Like, for example, in pediatrics, I help my kiddos with a lot of them have autism spectrum disorder or they have um, sensory processing disorder. And I help them to be be more successful in their daily occupations. So for them, their occupations 
consists of play, school, taking care of themselves, and they have some barriers to successful participation. And a lot of it, in my cases, comes from a sensory, from the sensory processing. Um, I used to work in outpatient neuro, so I had a lot of patients with Parkinson's disease, and for them, their condition made a lot of their activities of daily living or ADLs difficult. So there's layers to what we work on. We can work on things like from a biomechanical standpoint, range of motion, muscle strength, but then we also help people to teach them skills, um, different adaptations, different compensatory techniques. We can help them to, we can also work from the side of prevention and more community-based work. We can work in mental health. Um, whatever capacity we work in, our goal is to help people to successfully engage in their desired occupations. I love that. How have you collaborated with, okay, so maybe you have a child with a sensory processing disorder or on the autism spectrum. How have you worked with PTs? Like give us an example, maybe of one of those kind of cases and how you've been able to collaborate for that child's care. Mm -hmm. So... I'm working, I, I coached a lot with the PTA. Um, and yesterday, for example, we had three coach reads together. Um, so there's, for example, I'll just take one activity. There's, with one kid, we have this goal to, we both, we each have a goal for the kid to catch and to be able to catch a playground ball from six feet apart, um, from six feet away, I should say. And from my perspective, it's from a visual motor integration perspective. And from their perspective, when they're working on dribbling or catching, it's from more of a motor coordination. And we work on bilateral coordination as well. So there's a lot of uh, synergy and overlap, but for in when we word goals, when I'm creating goals, it's to help them to be able to participate in play or school-related activities. And that differs from PT might be looking at, you know, increasing range of motion from this degree to this degree. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how like their goals are worded, but I know like that's one goal is catching a ball. We have that same goal. Um, but then we'll work on, I'll work on um, wheelbarrow walking or upper extremity weight bearing, and he'll work on skipping and hopping and we'll create an obstacle course incorporating all of those things. So it, it just makes sense for us to co-treat together um, with, with those cases. I mean, it just, not every, not every treatment is a co-treatment, but when we do have that, it just, it makes, for my opinion, makes the treatment more fun because we can incorporate so many more different things into the session. Yeah, of course. And I know um, I'll touch on that a little bit too. So from a PT perspective, I actually did one of my clinical affiliations in a sensory gym and um, they were all school-aged or a little bit younger children. And when we worked with OTs or even speech therapists, the obstacle courses, which made me feel like an inner child again, so fun to make. Um, but those were truly like the times you can really do so much with those kids because it's you're hitting so many different aspects of their goals or treatments in one shot. So it's super, super fun. I obviously think like both professions can do so much especially in that one short period of time for a child or just a patient in general, even. Um, how has your practice changed at all with now COVID in the mix? We've been in a pandemic for almost two years now. What has changed or what hasn't changed and how are you managing treating with that? 
So last year I wasn't working in, in a clinical role because my husband was still doing, oh, well, I said last year as if last year was 2019, <laughs> but technically it's 2020. Um, but regardless, I, okay, so I wasn't working in a clinical role for a while because when my husband decided to pursue travel PT, I left my, my clinical job and I just went along for the ride and I focused more on my CEUs and my enjoy energy time. And so when we moved to Colorado and he stopped doing travel, uh, that's when I went back to clinical care. So that was a few months ago. So when I went back to clinical care, that was in COVID. So I had been a while since I worked in that setting. And so um, I feel like it hasn't changed too much. I mean, we do have policies based on what zone we're in. So we're in the red zone to know there's a certain capacity of, of people that are allowed in the waiting room. So we have a rule of no parents in the waiting room. Um, we'll get the kids from their car. We take their temperature. We ask them a questionnaire. We wear masks. We wash our hands. We make the kids wash their hands before and upon leaving the session. Um, and some families prefer to do telehealth. So we're just doing telehealth. So I feel like it hasn't changed too much. I'm sure if I had been working in a clinical setting in the beginning, it would have been a lot more difficult of transitioning to everything telehealth. And I know that that's what a lot of clinics did. So I didn't experience that, but I know that was a really hard transition. Uh, and this is my first time doing telehealth anyway. So it is kind of a transition for me, but I'm balancing that with clinical, like being in the clinic. So um, it's been a change, but it hasn't been too bad to adjust to. Just being very careful and making sure we ask the right questions the, um, the COVID questions and taking temperatures, that's just like, we have to be diligent about that. But other than that, I feel like it, it has, it's no, not that much different. That's good. That's awesome. And it obviously like as a clinician these days, you have to be super flexible and the patients have to be flexible with the constant changes and everything going on around you. What do you have any tips for students who are maybe going out on clinicals during this time about how they can be a better clinician or, you know, obviously maintain precautions is one thing, but whether it's from a student standpoint, clinician standpoint, obviously they're going through so much right now and add this pandemic in the mix, it doesn't make anything easier. No, no, it doesn't. And my advice would be to be gentle with yourself and forgive yourself as much as you need to. Um, that is another aspect I think many healthcare professionals have, like we're not all of us, but a lot of us, I would say are type A, I'm type A, my husband's very type B. So that's why I can't say not every healthcare professional is type A, but if, if you are type A, even if you're not, if you're very critical of yourself and you're very judgmental with yourself, um, you're probably, you can probably relate to this because I'm like this, where if I make a mistake, then I'm so harsh with myself and there's, I leave no room for error. And you can't really grow like that because, um, you, there's no space for learning and growing if you're trying to be perfect all the time. And then when you're harsh with yourself, you can speak so negatively to yourself and you could be, you could say things to yourself you would never say to, to anyone else and be so hard with yourself. But then if you're talking to a friend that did the exact same thing or a coworker, you might tell them something completely different and you might be a lot more encouraging and supportive. So my biggest advice would be to turn that support that you would give to others, but turn that inwards and practice self-compassion. And there's a lot of research on self-compassion, um, so much out there that I've come across that I've used for my courses about using that as an effective tool, because it helps, it doesn't take the stress away, it doesn't take 
all what's going on away, but it helps to make that more bearable and helps to lower your lower your distress. So that is what we're looking for. And in the midst of a crazy day or a really long week and lots of things are happening that are out of your control and all you can do is how all you can control is how you respond and how you treat yourself and how you show up. And so having moments of self-compassion, telling yourself, you know, I'm doing the best I can right now with the tools I have and like with what I have and, and saying that to yourself, it doesn't have to be a big thing, but acknowledging that and taking a few moments each day to be mindful. And I try, it's, it's so hard. It's, it's simple, but it's not easy to practice mindfulness. And so I try to practice mindfulness in between every patient. So I will notice where I'm standing in that moment, like notice like how I am before I run out the door and get my next patient. I try to just stand with myself, acknowledge where I am, take a deep breath in and out and just like be very embodied for that moment and then go get my next patient. And it it takes like not even 10 seconds or it's just like a few seconds. So just being with yourself, being mindful and then practicing self-compassion, that will go such a long way. I love that because I also have started during this time using the Headspace app and they Mm -hmm. talk about mindfulness and noting and just being present in that moment. And I think that's such a huge, huge point to make. It does only take 10 seconds. You can make it go for a minute. You can keep it to the 10 seconds and do whatever as time allows. But I love that you pointed that out and brought that up. And you said that you do it between patients because that truly is a way to keep yourself grounded especially in the chaos of so much, like you said, we can't control. So take what you can control and try to do what you can with it. Um, I love that. That was, that was like the cherry top to this whole, whole <laughs> I knew talking to you would be awesome. Um, so if people want to find you, find Joy Energy Time or the podcast, give us a little lowdown of what they, how they can contact you, follow you, et cetera. Well, I, I hang out the most, I'm most active on Instagram. So that's at joy.energy.time. Um, but my website is joyenergytime.com. The podcast, Burnt Out to Lit Up podcast, that is on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere where there's podcasts, you can find it. Um, and that's where you can get in touch with me. I love it. Any final thoughts or closures or tips for students that before we go? Um, always trust your gut. Sometimes if you're in a situation where it doesn't feel right and you try to brush it off, trust your gut. Um, If I would have trusted my gut, I would have stayed out of toxic situations. But then again, don't beat yourself up. If you didn't listen to yourself, know that you're going through an experience that that you're meant to learn from and you can hopefully do better next time. But just trust yourself more. There's this whole imposter syndrome thing that I know so many people feel and you might not know all the answers and you never will no one knows all the answers but just trust where you are and trust that even if you don't know you can look it up and you can find the answer but regardless of the information just trust yourself and just that will take you a a long way I love that and I I think yeah and to add on to that too also just stay true to yourself and don't worry put the blinders on and do what you want to do don't worry about what everyone else is doing around you. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Erica, for coming on the podcast today. It was so great to chat with you and you guys know where to find her if you have any questions. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com.